right now, I can't think of a greater way to begin just worshiping with you even more than by reading from the Word of God. So it's Revelation chapter 3. We're in a series. It's called Conquer. And we're looking at the message that Jesus Christ sent to Sardis today. Um, and it's just, you're going to learn a lot about that city and about what was taking place there. Um, it's a message that's very incredibly significant for us today. But I just want to read for us Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Allow the words from Psalm 95 to seep deep into your hearts today. As you, you can be seated for a moment. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. He's a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it. The dry land his hands formed. Oh come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God we're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And it says, today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that's what we are striving for today. This morning, we get to start in a very unique way. Um, this is not anything that you have to do. I'm going to make a request of you. Um, I'm going to ask that you do something here in just a moment. Um, I would prefer, I have a child here. Don't throw anything at me um, when I ask you to do this. I'm going to ask that you change seats today. Um, and what I'd like you to do is change seats. At least don't sit in the chair right beside you. Okay? I would like for you personally, some of you, by the way, Williams family, you've changed seats already. I know where, I know where you sit. Uh, all right? Uh, I'm going to ask that you change, if you're really bold, I, I change sections, whatever it is. Just, just go ahead and, and if you're willing to, you don't have to, go ahead and change seats if you would. Change rows, change sections. There's a front row open for all you holy people. Anywhere you want to go. Anywhere you want to go. 
This is great. I love this. Awesome. I, I need, go ahead and give yourself a hand. Look at you breaking the mold. What I love is actually we now have seats in the back and we don't have any in the front. We're going to do this every week. There's a reason for it, I promise you. We'll get to that a little bit later. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, we're in a series, as you know, I mentioned earlier, called Conquer. And we are. We're, we're speaking about complacency. John referenced that and talking about giving and, giving. and we do sometimes grow complacent in giving. Another word I would use is stagnant. You saw on the sign possibly as you drove by this week, um, stagnation. And we, we get so stagnant in the life that we have. And that's really, I'll be honest with you, what this letter is about in many, many ways. Uh, Sardis and I would say Laodicea are the two churches out of the seven that are condemned the most harshly. They're the ones that, um, and, and I'll go ahead and tell you, if you don't already know, here's the penmanship of John through the words of Christ. That's why the letters are in red in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. If you've never been here before, Revelation, last book in the Bible, you'll be able to turn to the very back, you'll see Revelation, and you'll be able to open up to that. It's chapters 2 and chapter 3. And Jesus is sending a powerful word to these churches. He began with Ephesus, and now we're looking at Sardis, the fifth of the seven. And this is a place that was really, uh, I think maybe their hearts had been hardened in some ways. I think of Psalm 95. Uh, Sardis was the capital of Lydia. It was east of Smyrna, about 30 miles, if that helps you at all with geography. For me, it does a little bit. However, I can't tell you how to get to Lansing, so I don't know what that means. The original city was built on a high uh, mesa where literally there's, there's walls on three sides of it especially. It's just rock walls that are just everywhere, and that's what you see. Um, in fact, there's a picture. Let's go ahead and go to that picture if we can. I know it's not in order, but there it is. Uh, you can see how high it's set, and around it... Um, it was really difficult to get up onto that mesa, and it actually limited the growth of the city. At one point, there was another city that somewhat formed down in the valley below in order to hold all of the different people who were living in that area. It should have been impenetrable in many ways. However, because they were arrogant and cocky about the positioning of it geography-wise, it was conquered two different times. Both times it was taken because of their arrogance, because of their false sense of security. It's a very wealthy area, and so also their wealth played in, into that also. Croesus, which is the king at the time period, uh, you may think it's Croesus, it's just Croesus is the easiest, the best pronunciation probably. He was the king of the area. Um, he had a tremendous amount of gold. There was a lot of gold in this territory, and he grew his kingdom with so much confidence that he felt that he could actually conquer Persia. Now, that's just called being stupid, because they weren't very large at all, right? And it wasn't a God-ordained thing. He just grew arrogant. He grew with the false sense of 
security. In fact, that's one of the greatest lessons we're going to be able to learn today also, is that wealth and a false sense of security can allow one to become vulnerable to arrogance and pride. It causes you to do things that maybe you should not do. Well, as he is trying to figure out if he should really try to grow his kingdom, uh, Croesus, the king at the time, he consulted an oracle, and he asked if he should attack. The oracle said very favorably, if you attack, you will destroy a mighty kingdom. And so he attacked, not knowing that the mighty kingdom that would be destroyed would be his own. So this gives you a little bit of an idea about Sardis. Later on, uh, Cyrus came with a half million soldiers and he laid siege. And for six months they attacked. Croesus was too confident in the city's natural defense with the steep sides and everything else. And some of the soldiers discovered that they had not guarded or manned stationed soldiers at one of the highest points because they didn't think it was possible for anybody to get through there. And so they discovered this small entrance. They snuck through it, opened up a larger gate in the middle of the night when all the people were sleeping. They entered and they killed everyone there. At that point, the city fell and became Persian. That was 550 years before Jesus Christ was born. It was a matter of arrogance. They just, they grew too comfortable in what they already knew. Here's a fun picture for you. Um, Maybe you've seen this before, right? Where you just grow so comfortable where you're always sitting that you, it, it just almost lulls you to a place of death, right? This is the, the frog that gets in the water. We all know what happens. If you throw anybody into really hot boiling water, a frog, um, they're going to jump out really quick. But you can throw them in just lukewarm water and then turn up the heat slowly and they'll stay in there and they'll end up dying. That was Sardis. I mean, that's, that's an accurate picture of Sardis in many, many ways. They just, they kind of sit in the same place all the time. And that's not a bad thing, especially when you're coming to worship. Some of you sit in the same place all the time. That's not the point. The point is sometimes, though, it can be hard to get up and to move. Right? But some of you, I, this is truth. I know some of you have told me, well, I sit in the same place because I know where the air hits. That's okay, but wow, you're weird. Right? Some of you sit a certain place because the, the music is loud or certain places, etc. Um, there's some that we can do about that, some things we can't do about that because we do worship in a gym with concrete walls. Right? There's different reasons for it. I'm not saying all those things are bad, but what I am saying is that sometimes in our own life, maybe it's giving, just as John referenced before, maybe it's in the way that we serve. Um, we can be lulled into a place of becoming stagnant. And so here in Revelation chapter 2, he's writing to this church in Sardis, and it really forces us to ask ourselves, who are we and what is happening in our own life? He says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And automatically people are going, what does that mean? Well, I want to give you a little bit of an idea because Jesus right now, you know what he's doing? He's comparing himself to Caesar. 
at this point, the majority of scholars, not everybody, but the majority, including myself, we believe that uh, Revelation was written in the early 90s. And so knowing that it was written in the early 90s, what you have is you have Domitian, and he is Caesar at that time period. And he was arrogant. It was already known that if you were Caesar, when you died, you would um, be deified. You would be made a god. Well, what he did is he was so arrogant, he actually deified himself before he died. As a result, you find his presence everywhere. And so Jesus is contrasting himself as the real God to Domitian. Now this is important for us to to understand and to recognize. Because here is this Caesar who who persecuted Christians constantly. Um, Some people believe that up to a million Christians were, were killed during his period of reign. A million Christians. They blamed the fire in Rome on Christians that happened uh, 30 years earlier, 25 years earlier. Many other things were blamed as well. They had a plague that killed millions of people. There was um, a volcano that erupted. There was an earthquake. They blamed everything they could and always on Christians. It was the Christians' fault. That was the persecution that they were experiencing. You see, originally Christians were viewed as a sect of Judaism, and so because there was an arrangement for them to be able to worship um, their God, the Jews that is, um, Christians were considered to be a part of it. Well, at this time period, because of Christ, of course, that was no longer considered to be the case, and so they reviewed them as being dangerous. It's well known that he hated Christians. And so you find this very first verse and you're going, well, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, the, the coins during this time period actually showed that very thing. You see, what Domitian, Domitian did is he put his face on the coin. In fact, you'll see some coins here. You'll see his face there on it. And then if you look on the other side, on the, on, if you're looking at the right, you actually can see the seven stars And so when Jesus is speaking these words, they're reading this and going, oh, yeah, that's on the coin. That's our currency. And now here are the words of Jesus being written to us. And he's saying he's the one who has the seven stars. That's a picture, by the way, of the God Jupiter sitting on a globe. And he's holding these seven stars. Domitian is on the other side there. And the words around that literally mean divine. He's deifying himself before his death. That's what they were dealing with. That's what they were coping with. And so hopefully you read these words down and go, oh, Jesus is saying, no, I'm the one who holds the seven stars, nobody else. I'm the true God. Be careful. And so here are these powerful words that are being communicated to the church. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, already, I read that and I go, oh, that one, that one hurts. Right? I, initially, I read and go, okay, you have the reputation of being alive. And I go, what's he mean by reputation? I am alive. And then he says, but you're dead. What? Wait a second. You can't say, you can't really, can you really say that? And so he's writing these powerful words. Jesus just jumps in, and he doesn't have any praise for them. 
Like there's no warm-up. That's how we've spoken about it numerous times. There's no warm-up. Hey, um, when you go see your, your loved one, your spouse, um, and you go, hey, honey, I just wanted to let you know um, that you're doing a great job with this and this, and you look so beautiful today. But, right? There's none of that whatsoever. What it is is he just jumps in and says, hey, you have a reputation for being alive, but I know it's not true. You're not, you're not fooling anyone. You see, we need to understand, if you believe in, the, in God as being omnipresent, omniscient, right? All-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere. If you believe this, then you know you can't fool God. You, you can't do it. He knows if you're alive or if you're dead. He knows if you're really allowing him to influence your life and to steer where you step, to, to, to determine those, those paths of righteousness that you're willing to walk or maybe not willing to walk. So he has no praise for him. He just jumps in. The people were spiritually numb and empty. And maybe you're spiritually numb. You're just like, you're just every week, you're like, okay, man, he just needs to hurry up. I got things to do, places to be. And you're just spiritually numb. You're empty. And, and you don't even know how to, to get spiritual fervor. Maybe once you had it and you lost it, and maybe you've never had it before. And you, you, when you think about it, you want it, but then you're not really sure you want it. And so then you don't really hunt for it. You don't really search for it with the Almighty God the way you should. You're just spiritually numb. It's a, it's a hard thing, a hard place to be. They were dead and their deeds were incomplete. What I think about when I think of Sardis is I do think about that frog in the water and how many of the people in the church, even today, are in that same place. But also think about where I grew up in South Georgia for about two years. And I've shared this with you before, but I think it's a powerful picture. You'll see this right here. What you have down there is called the Okefenokee Swamp. And um, you ever been to, anybody been to the Okefenokee Swamp? Like three of you. You guys rock. Um, and it's just, it's literally hundreds, it's thousands and thousands of acres, and it's just wetland, of course, swamp. And uh, the, it's so stagnant because of the trees and everything else, no wind, no circulation, that the, the scum on top is just, it's just nasty. It smells, it's humid down there, and so it smells even more so. So we threw up some pictures here. You can kind of see the scum on a couple of the pictures um, on the top left, bottom right, but also even swimming pools today. They've got chemicals in them, but this is what happens. Some of you have swimming pools, and you opened them up about, I don't know, probably a day ago, a month ago. I don't know when that was for you. And you opened them up, right? You take the cover off, and what's underneath? Just nasty green water because the water hasn't been circulating, and it hasn't been moving. And before you know it, it, it happens, right? You can literally go just a few days, don't do anything to your pool at all, and very quickly it just, it just starts to get disgusting. You see that scum, and you, you see all the filth that begins to come. To me, that's a picture of Sardis. They, they thought they had everything. They had plenty of water, right, kind of imagery, but because it was stagnant, because it wasn't moving, 
they were no longer alive. They were now dead. They, they, they had no life. See, I'll give, you, I'll give you a few characteristics of a stagnant pond, and then I'm going to give you a few characteristics of a running stream. I want you to think about those, and I want you to compare them to your own spiritual life. Here's characteristics, characteristics of a stagnant pond. It ha- stagnant ponds, they have nothing flowing into them or anything flowing out of them. The water just sits. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit flowing into you, presence of God flowing into you, then you're going to struggle. You're going to have some difficulties, right? Um, it becomes overgrown with algae. It just, and In fact, in time, it does begin to smell, and there's actually a poison that it begins to release. They become, that person would become poisonous to others even because they've lost their perspective. But when you think about a running stream and it has fresh water flowing in and out, God is moving in their life. Right? I used to go camping a lot when I was in college. And um, as I did that, you know, you knew what water to even look for. I'd be in the North Georgia mountains and if you forgot your filter like I often did, you would just take the water in an area with the, the fastest running water and you would take that. I'd run it through some sand through a shirt and then I've got good clean water. I would drink it. I never got sick from it. But you never went to the, to, to the pool that was just sitting still and go, oh, I'm going to use that water. You would never do that. Why? Because you, know, you knew that you were likely to get sick from that. And so you have that fresh water flowing in and out, and it has a clarity. You can see through it. It's not, it's not murky or dirty. When you stir it up, it's still clear, and it's life-sustaining. It doesn't smell. It's refreshing. And what I, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine which of those you are right now spiritually. I want you to think about that. I want to encourage you to go even further if you're the, the stream that's running. And if you're not, if, if you're stagnant in your spiritual life, I want to encourage you by telling you that God can redeem anyone at any time from what? Anything. And he can take you to a new place of encouraging you. He can take you to a new place of where you're really starting to thrive and to grow in who he is and what he desires. And some of you aren't willing to even evaluate if you're stagnant or not. That was Croesus to me. He wasn't willing to evaluate himself. He became arrogant as a result of that, and he lost his kingdom. That's what can happen. So what I, I want to give you a few characteristics now. I want to show you some characteristics of a stagnant Christian. And if you fit that bill, then you're going to go, um, well, maybe I need to determine if I'm stagnant uh, in real life and if I need to change something. Three characteristics of a stagnant Christian. Here they are. Um, Jot these down. I think it will really help you. provide some great conversation for you later on uh, this afternoon. One, um, stagnant Christians always prefer information over obedience. They just want to have a certain knowledge, but they don't want to implement that. They don't want to show that. They don't want to live that on a daily basis. And so they prefer that. And I'm not saying that information isn't important. We know that. But they prefer the information over obedience. They would rather sit in all that they know, even if they're just mean to other people and they never show the love of Jesus. I understand that we're in a day of biblical ignorance. We need to know the Word of God, we need to study God's truth. But 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
You have to know the difference between the two. James 1 uh, James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. James 1.22, do what it says, live it out in your life. So one of the characteristics of a stagnant Christian is that they prefer information over obedience. A second thing is they prefer external righteousness. They just want to put on a good show. They want to look good. You see, that was Croesus. He looked good sitting up there on top of the mesa and looking over all the valleys around him. And he's like, man, look at me. I am awesome. I'm sitting in my nice house. I've got everything I want. And all those other people can just look up to me, literally, figuratively, in every other way. And yet he lost his kingdom. He preferred an external righteousness. Matthew chapter 23, 25 through 26. Matthew 23, 25 through 26 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, right? But inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You're blind. You, you look great on the outside, but we know on the inside you're filthy. First clean the inside of the cup. And then the outside will also be clean. He's helping them to understand that you desire internal righteousness first if you're really alive in Christ. A third characteristic, final characteristic of someone who is stagnant in their spiritual faith is that they actually have contempt or little heart for lost people. They'd rather tell everybody who doesn't think and believe like them how wrong they are than show the love of Jesus Christ to them first and foremost. And they just don't have a heart for lost people. They don't ache for them. One of the characteristics of someone who is that living water running through them, one of the characteristics is that they have a hunger and a thirst that other people get who Jesus really is because they know that it will be life-changing. It will transform them. It will change their families. It will change the history of everything that's happening and taking place in their life. And that's crucial. And you hurt for that. You hunger to help people understand who Jesus really is. People who are stagnant don't have a hunger and a desire to help lost people really come to know him. Luke 15, 1 and 2. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. They're more concerned with rebuking him for reaching out for, to the lost than saying, well done. And too many churches today have followed the pattern of the Pharisees rather than following the example of Jesus. We have to be careful about that. The church was full of people who knew about Jesus, but they did not know Jesus. I mean, there's no mention here of persecution. There's no mention here of false teaching. There, there's no mention here of conflicts that were taking place within the body of Christ. None of that was happening as many of the other letters were, mentioned those types of things. Why? Because they were so ineffective, none of those things existed. <laughs> And 
the person who is spiritually dead, the person who is stagnant, the person who is this complacent, one of the first things that has to happen is you have to acknowledge, you know what, maybe this, this life I have, maybe it's not really alive. Maybe, I, could I be one of those people? Could I actually be one of those people that would be mentioned in this letter? Would I be one of the residences in Sardis who ends up losing his life in the middle of the night because we are so arrogant that we didn't even check the back door? And that's a hard thing to be able to do. And so what I want to make sure that you understand is even if you think that that's you, I want to give you the freedom. I want to make sure that you acknowledge that. But then I've got to tell you, guys, there's a hope in Jesus Christ to redeem anything. That's one of the, I think, the greatest things about this church is if you're someone who says, you know what, I have been stagnant, but I want to be the living water flowing through me. I, want to, I don't want to be stagnant anymore. We'll do everything we can to partner with you and to help you and to walk that journey with you. That's what we want to do because when you start seeing people become alive in Christ, it's one of the most joyful things that you can experience. He says, I know your, your works you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You're, you're not doing anything. Uh, that's why even this next year, you're going to be hearing a lot coming up about some of our initiatives here at Chapel Point of reaching into the community. A couple years ago, we walked away from an elders meeting a weekend together going, you know what, we need greater community just together. That, that caused a lot of change, and, and that's one of the reasons that's when we, we went out and we hired Pastor Jim to come and really implement a lot of things with our, our point groups and everything else. And as a result, we have over twice as many people engaged in community as ever before. That's a great thing. But now we know that we need to go and get into the community, not just build community where we are. Some of the thrusts that we're going to have is we're already trying to get into schools, not to tell them that they're doing things wrong, but just to come and say, we love you. Whatever you need, we're here. If you work in a school, we're going to tell you that over and over and over again. Whatever you need, we're here. We've got a plan to walk forward to do that. We want to impact marriages in the community. We want to partner with, I'm already meeting with pastors from other churches to talk about how we can join forces to grow the kingdom of God, not rather than our own kingdom. And we're also looking at how we can impact businesses. If you want your business to be prayed over, please let me know. I would love to come pray with your people. I would love to come and pray over them to make ourselves available, our resources available to help them, to assist them. Because we don't want to be dead in Christ. We don't want to be stagnant. We, want to, we don't want to be the refuge from the world. We want, to be, we want to be a refuge for the world. And we want to do everything we can to make that possible. He continues on and he tells them, he says, wake up. I see that being a powerful statement. Right? I don't, I don't think he's just coming in and, and just kind of gently shaking them, touching their shoulder. You ever do that with your kids? I did that today with my kids. A couple of my kids woke up with me giving them a back rub today. That was the best day I've ever had as a father. And I'm, I'm just, come on, it's time to wake up. We need to go to church. The light is blinding me. Oh, suck it up. Right? Literally, that happened. But I'm also the father who I've been known um, to scare people, even to wake them up. 
Last night, I had a daughter of mine who was going up the stairs, and she was in the laundry room on the main level, so I turned off all the lights on the main level, so she had to walk to the stairs in the dark, isn't that awesome? And I jumped out and scared her, and she wiped out, she's like, I hurt my knee, and so then I felt bad, not really, and, um, but I loved on her, and I, I think it's honestly more of that, though. I don't think this is Jesus coming and saying, okay, it's, it's time to wake up. I think he's coming in and he's saying, wake up. Come on. Start living like you actually know who I am. Wake up. It's not the the gentle shake of, oh, you're doing, it's going to be a wonderful. Wake up. That's what it is. He's He's hungry for them to wake up and to strengthen what remains. He's letting them know, listen, there are some people that are doing it well. There are some people doing okay, but they're the minority. Wake up and and strengthen the faith that you already have. Whatever faith you already have, invest in it. Pour into it. If you have unbelief, say, God, help my unbelief. But he is letting them know, wake up. Wake up your families. Wake up your children. Wake up your grandchildren. Wake up your neighbors and become alive in the name of Jesus. That's what he's doing. And he tells them in verse 3, he says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it. And then he says, he says, remember and, and keep it. And he says, repent. It's a common theme in, in the messages to the seven churches. He keeps telling them, repent. Of the wrong that you have, repent. The great news is once you repent, it's done. God is so much greater than we are. When somebody comes and asks us for forgiveness, we go, okay, well, um, no, I, I forgive you. But you might remind them in a couple years if you need to. Anybody done that one before? And here you have God saying, no, if you come before me and you repent and you're, you're mature about that, if you're honest about that, I'm going to forgive you and we're going to move on. And I want, you to be, I want you to live in the living streams that can refresh you and that can revive you. And he's, he warns them, listen, if, if you're not careful, you need to know, if you don't wake up, if you want to stay stagnant, if you, if you want to stay with that pond scum living on top of you, if you want to stay where you are, if you want to sit in that water that's warming up more and more and more, and it's going to kill you, you just don't know it, right? There's the frog. If you want to stay in that place, you just need to know that I will come like a thief. And you're not going to know what the hour is when I come against you. I think that's a pretty fair warning, isn't it? Reminds me of some other passages, right? Matthew, he talks about that. And he's letting them know, listen, I'll come when you least expect it. You're not going to be ready. And you're the ones who are going to hurt for it. They had already already fallen asleep twice. They'd been conquered two different times. And he's telling them to remember and to repent. To not just know about Jesus, but to know Jesus. 
You see, waking up spiritually, you know, you go, what does that really mean to wake up spiritually? Does that just mean I go to church more? I think waking up spiritually means that you know for which that you, you know that for which you stand, but you also know what you're willing to do to not fall. See, so many people today, the reason we're stagnant is because we claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. We know that for which we want to stand, but we've never even examined that there are some things that maybe are knocking us out from the knees, coming from behind us, that keep knocking us to the ground so we can never really stand for Jesus. We begin to compromise. We begin to say, you know what, God, I know everything I have is yours. I need to determine how much of it that I want to really live on. And we begin to live on more and more and more and more. And we end up not even giving anything to God at all. So maybe it's the giving that John spoke about. Maybe it's just the fact that, you know, we want to dive into the word. We want it to be ingrained on our heart. That's why I'm so glad that we had that memory class coming up for you guys. I hope that you take the, the time, one evening, to come and learn how you can get the word of God in ingrained in your life on your heart because we say we want to do that but then we don't recognize that we keep saying yes to other things and then saying yes to everything else we we're sacrificing the time that we have to jump into the word and so then that goes away and so all of a sudden we've lost it it knocks us down we think about our marriages and we wonder why we struggle so much with our marriages yet we say yes to everything but our spouse, and we don't make time for them. He's warning them, I will come. He tells them in verse 4 and verse 5, he says, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white. He's offering encouragement to those in Sardis who haven't compromised, who haven't given in, become stagnant. We already know that people in Asia Minor, they would bar people from the temple if they had soiled garments. Right? They didn't have the systems that we have today, obviously. And you would be barred from the temple if you had soiled garments. And so they're reading this and going, wait a second. Because that would insult deity and that's something that would not be permissible. So they're reading that and going, oh, okay, well, well. Wait a second. He says, the one who conquers, instead of having soiled garments, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. He says, they will walk with me in white. Whenever there was a new Caesar or any kind of triumphal procession, people would wear white garments if they had white garments because it showed honor and respect. And he even goes on to say more that, listen, this is what's going to happen. If you're not just living in a place of complacency, if you're not stagnant, if you're, if you're one of those few people in Sardis who are living according to my truth, my word, and how I want you to really engage in the culture that is around you, if you're one of those people then I will never blot out your name from the book of life. There's nothing that can happen that's going to rip you apart from Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. 
to the one who conquers, he says this, Jesus will not blot out your name from the book of life. Now for, here's the, here's the kicker. No, I'll close with this, but here's the kicker. When we read and understand that Jesus will not blot our name out of the book of life, your response is often dictated by whether or not you believe that there's another life to be had, an eternal life. For those who are living in a relationship with Jesus Christ, where that living water is flowing through us, and then it's flowing out of us in terms of the way we are wanting to serve him, to obey him, to, to influence other people. When that's the situation that you're living in, there is a joy and an excitement and an enthusiasm to worshiping that God. I think the way that we hear these last words are often, maybe not for everybody, but I think they're often determined by where we're sitting. Are you, are you one of the people sitting in the hot water and maybe for the first time you just recognized it? And you go, you know what, yeah, my, my life is different than it was a year ago and it's certainly different than five years ago and ten years ago and I, I don't have a strong relationship with God. May, maybe I'm sitting in that bucket of water. And sometimes that, that's, that can be a hard thing to recognize and it can be even a harder thing to actually voice. The church was full of people who knew about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. So he's calling them out. It was full, full of people. Well, don't you understand? I, I mean, I know everything he did. I know what he did. I know how he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. But they didn't know Jesus. Do you really know Jesus? And is he the one determining the things that you're doing later today? Some of you already have such an amazing five-year plan. There's no room for Jesus to come and lead anyway. You know, everything you've got going. There's, not, there's no room for anything else. Will you wake up spiritually if you're not already awake? What a great question to ask your, your loved one, a friend. Hey, do you see me as being someone who's really spiritually alive? Or am I just living the same life over and over, unwilling to change? Let's pray. God, thank you. That you come time and time again 
and you let us know how we can remember the faith that we've had. We can repent of the faith that maybe we no longer have. And we can come before you. And so many of us, we're just, we don't want to change seats, oh God. We, we're so comfortable where we are. The thing about sitting on the front row scares us. To think about getting up and really altering some things in our life that worries us. We just want to keep living the way that we know. We'd rather have discomfort, a little discomfort in what we know, than have possible joy and enthusiasm in what we don't already know. And so, Lord, may we just be honest. May we be honest if we're the the stream, the river running wild for you, or if we're the pond that's sitting stagnant. May we just, may we be honest. Give us the courage, the courage to be honest and the strength to make change. God, I'm grateful that through your son, you you held nothing back. You just said, you know what? I'm going to give you the very best I have. I'm giving you my son. Thank you, God. May every single person in this room find hope in knowing that you held nothing back, that you desire to, to be in a relationship with every single person in this room that you don't want us just to know about you. You want us to know you. You want us to know every detail we can about the beauty of who you are. God, I want to be able to hear your voice and recognize it right away. Lord, we praise you and we love you. In Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Sing to our God and praise Him for all He's done. This is my prayer in the desert when all that's within me feels dry. This is my prayer in my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. This is my prayer in the fire, in weakness or trial or pain. There is a faith proved of more worth than gold, so refine me, Lord, through the flame. And I will bring praise, I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory and he is here. This is my prayer in the battle 
when triumph is still on its way. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ, so firm on his promise I'll stand. And I will bring praise, I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory and he is here. All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. All of my life, and in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. Sing it out. Here we go. All of my life and in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. All my life, all of my life and in every season, you me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare. God is my victory and he is here. And I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare. God is my victory and he is here. This is my prayer in the harvest, when favor and providence flow. I know I'm filled to be emptied again. The seed I've received, I will sow. Is there anybody who believes that God is maybe wanting you to change chairs spiritually? Anybody? Do you have? You want to raise your hand? It's okay if you do. It's awesome. I, I'm I'm wanting to raise my hand every day, because I believe where God wants me to sit is closer and closer and closer to Him. Amen. That's what He wants for you. I pray that you will have His blessings, His encouragement, as you walk through this next week. Know that you have a body of believers, a family that wants to serve with you and to encourage you in the name of Jesus Christ. Go in his peace. Have a great week. All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have
have a reason to worship all of my life and in every season you are still god i have a reason to sing i have a reason to worship all of my life and in every season you are still god i have a reason to sing yes i have a reason to worship all of my life and in every season you are still god i have a reason to sing yes i have a reason to worship and i will bring praise i will bring praise no weapon formed against me shall remain i will rejoice i will declare god is my victory and he is here and i will bring praise i will bring praise no weapon formed against me shall remain i will rejoice i will declare god is my victory and he is here this is my prayer in the harvest when favor and providence flow i know i'm filled to be emptied again the seed i've received i will sow did you not read what i said the first time did not end and i said yes and then you came in 